Uh, we're, we're glad you're here today. Real quickly before we jump into the message, we just want to celebrate uh, what happened here on uh, Christmas Eve. You know, we took up, as Nick said, an offering for Endure Athletics. And some folks have said, you know, Endure Athletics, what do they do? They, they work with uh, the most at-risk kids, uh, we believe, in our community. These are kids that are living in pay-by-the-week hotels, uh, some even in vehicles, uh, sleeping in cars with uh, maybe a mom. And, and they work uh, diligently with them, feeding them, uh, providing after-school tutoring, mentoring, discipleship, just taking them to church every single week so they can hear the gospel. And then uh, they also just allow them, if a kid wants to play a sport, they just uh, allow them to, to do that by paying for all of their fees and getting all their equipment and getting them back and forth to practice, just stuff that we kind of take for granted uh, with our kids that we're not able to do. Uh, they're not able to do. So uh, over Christmas Eve, we took up an offering. Everything went to Endure Athletics. And uh, I just want to celebrate. I want to thank you guys for your faithfulness. You guys gave $103,000 to Endure. We were able to give them, I think we have a picture of that, able to give them uh, that check. That was a really big deal. It's going to make a huge difference in the life of a lot of children in our community. So I wanted to share that with you. Now, if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open it up to the book of Proverbs. It's where we're going to be for the next several weeks. We're going to be working through this amazing book. And Proverbs is a book that really uh, teaches us how to have godly wisdom uh, in, our, in our life. And so uh, here's what we would say in the, in the preaching in our sermon series. We're not going to cover every passage in Proverbs. We have a podcast every single day that will go verse by verse through this amazing book. So we encourage you just to start your day with us with that podcast, 10 or 15 minutes, and you'll work your way all the way through uh, the book of Proverbs. So we encourage you to do that. Just go to our website uh, for that. But let's just get a working definition of wisdom because wisdom is something, if I, if I had to ask you, how would you define wisdom? That may be a hard thing for you to answer. Like, how, how would we define wisdom? But when you see it in a person's life, you really know it. And so here's a definition of wisdom that, that I like. It isn't perfect, but, but I like it. It says this, wisdom is responding to the questions of life with the answers of God, right? Learning to respond to the questions that we have in life with the answers of God. Another definition that I've used through the years is wisdom is when we begin to see as God sees and we begin to do as God says uh, in our life. And we saw last week uh, as Nick was teaching that first of all, wisdom is something that is given to us by God. In fact, it's a prayer that God wants to answer in your life. First Kings chapter three, that's what Solomon asked for. He asked for wisdom and God granted that. You know, he didn't ask for long life or our wealth, he asked for wisdom, and, and, and God gave him that. So it just reminds us that we can ask the Lord for that as, as well. Secondly, we're going to see that true wisdom is, is really only found in a relationship with Christ. Now, it, it, it takes knowledge as a, as a part of wisdom. Can I say that? Knowledge is a part of wisdom. You can't ultimately have wisdom without having knowledge, and, and knowledge certainly of the Word of God. But you can have knowledge and not have wisdom. Does that make sense? You can know a lot of things but still not have wisdom. But here's the difference, is that when we have this knowledge, really, of the Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit in, in our, alive in our life, giving us that resurrection power to walk in obedience, then we're, we're able to move into a lifestyle of wisdom. And so one of the things that happened, I know if you were like me, you woke up on Christmas morning, and the first thing that you begin to uh, be aware of on social media and as you turn the news on is the, the bombing that took place in downtown Nashville. I mean, it was just... It's a crazy, crazy deal. It seemed just surreal, didn't it? And so there's so many stories that have come uh, out of that. One of the stories that, that you're probably familiar with, you've seen it, and it, it, it stuck, uh, uh, really stood out to me, was uh, 
the Nashville Police Department, Officer James Wells. I don't know if you know Officer Wells' story. In fact, you can go and see that online. He was walking to the RV uh, that, mo- that morning. Uh, as he was walking to that RV just, just really seconds before the explosion, he says in an interview that he really heard God say to him to turn around. He literally turns around and starts walking in another direction, and you can see the explosion take place and most likely saved his life. And so, in a sense, that's part of wisdom that we have just a, a, a real relationship with a living God who's speaking into our hearts and lives on a, on a daily basis. And so these are issues, questions that we have about relationships, questions that we have about our career, questions that we have about ourselves. How do we see our, ourself? And, you know, in, instead of, of, of God making all these decisions for us in our life, you know, who should we marry? Where should we go to school? Or should I take this job or not take that job? What God wants to do is build into your life and my life wisdom. And he expects us to acquire wisdom. And we're, we're going we're gonna to see that. But acquiring wisdom takes effort. Like if you're going to acquire wisdom, it is going to take some effort on your part. But I want to say it to you this way. Failing to acquire wisdom will cost you a whole lot more. It'll make your life so much more difficult. In fact, if you fail to acquire wisdom, what you'll find is for most of your life, it'll just feel like you're swimming uh, upstream. And so throughout this series, we're really going to talk about how is it that we can acquire godly wisdom uh, in our life. And let me just say this, just a big statement as we begin our next uh, few moments together. Nothing in your life that you will ever do will make a greater impact on your life than your ability to acquire wisdom. Can I say that to you again? Nothing that you will ever do in your life will make a greater impact on your life than your really desire to acquire the wisdom of God uh, in your life. And so in Proverbs, verse 4, 7, we'll put this up on the screen. It's not the verse that we're going to dig into today, but it makes this point. The beginning of wisdom is this. Listen to what Solomon says. Get wisdom, though it cost you all you have. In other words, this is a noble pursuit that Solomon said, and it's going to cost you something. It may, have to co- it may cost you all that you have of your time, effort, and energy, but it is worth it to pursue wisdom, to really know how to approach the questions of life with God's answer. Boy, what a difference that will make uh, in, in our life. Now, here's the, here's the deal. Without wisdom. If you live your life without wisdom, then you might land the dream job. But the dream job becomes the nightmare without wisdom. You see, as we think about living life without wisdom, you can live life without wisdom and you might find your soulmate, but without wisdom, your soulmate will turn into a mortal enemy without wisdom, without knowing how to navigate that relationship. You know, the financial windfall may come in your life without wisdom. But if you have a financial windfall that comes into your life without wisdom, uh, that financial windfall could turn into a storm that really uh, rips your life apart. That's why this is so, so important. So here we go. We're going to begin with Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It is a super, super important passage. In fact, it, it really is the theme of this, this whole book of Proverbs. It's a book that focuses on how to acquire godly wisdom into your life. And if one verse summarizes it, I, I think Proverbs 1, 7 might do it. Let's take a look at it. Here's what it says. It says, the fear, 
might want to underline that if you have your Bible open. The fear of the Lord, that word Lord there, Yahweh, means God, uh, Israel's covenant God. We've entered into a love relationship with a God. This isn't just the God who is above us, who has created all things. It is a God that we're in a covenant love relationship with. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And, and it just kind of uh, compares and contrasts, if you will, a person of wisdom and a foolish person. A foolish person despises or turns away from wisdom because we're going to see even in the book of Psalms that what, what is a foolish person? A foolish person is a person that believes there is no God. They, they are a law unto themselves, so they don't have any desire in listening and learning. And so let, let's just look at a couple things here for the next few minutes that I promise you, everyone in this room, everybody that's watching online, we can grow a little bit in this area, and it will make a big difference in your life, all right? So here's the first thing I want us to see. We're going to talk today about one thing. We're going to talk about understanding the fear factor because that's how Solomon begins his journey of teaching us about wisdom. He says the fear, that's right, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we're going we're gonna to break that down. We're going to talk about what does it mean to understand the fear factor. Now, here's the first thing you'll see. We'll put it up on the screen. It's this. Fear is foundational to wisdom. That's what Solomon is saying. Fear a healthy fear of God is foundational to wisdom, just like numbers are foundational to math. Do you agree with that? If I can just get somebody to nod here without nodding off. Yeah, numbers are foundational to math. It doesn't matter what you're doing with basic math, calculus, algebra, trigonometry, whatever it is. Still, one of the things that will always be true is just numbers are foundational to math. Notes are foundational to music, right? If you want to get on the piano and, and play an amazing piece by Beethoven, you, you, you have to understand that notes are foundational to music. And, and before you can play that beautiful piece of music, you just have to learn your scales, right? You have to learn just those basic notes because they're foundational to music. Letters are foundational to what? To reading. If you're going to read, that's foundational to reading. And so some of you are saying, we get the point. Oh, here it is. Fear is foundational to wisdom. And I don't want us to really stay there for a second because here's the thing. If you're building something, like if you're an engineer or you're in engineering, you're an architect, the taller a structure is going to be, it means the deeper its foundation needs to be. Does that make sense? The taller a structure is going to be, the deeper the foundation needs to be. Now, here's an interesting passage. If we, if we look at what Solomon's father David says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Psalm uh, 11, look what he says. This is a great verse. And I think there's a really important point here, if you can hang here for a second. David says, when the foundations are destroyed, or when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? It is hard to live a righteous life if the foundations have been destroyed. And I believe this. I believe this very clearly. I think inside the church, I think the enemy always attacks foundations. And I think one of the things that the enemy has attacked in our generation is this foundational understanding of a healthy fear of the Lord. In fact, we don't talk about it very much in church. Anytime somebody talks about the fear of the Lord, we're very dismissive of that. Or you might say, well, that's just old school legalistic preaching. And what I want to tell you is, I think that's really attack of the enemy because what does the enemy know? If the foundations are destroyed, how can we stand? You see, and what is Solomon saying? He says the foundation of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. And to be honest with you, I'm, not, I, I, I'm quite sure, to be honest, it's, it's why so many resolutions in our life don't work, right? I mean, it's still early in January, so we're, we're still locked in on our resolutions. I mean, right? I mean, I'm working out in January, work out, you know, and exercise. It's just February that kills, kills my resolve, right? 
You know, I, I might work out and drink protein shakes in January, but I'm at the Golden Corral in February, right? I mean, what, what, why is it that our resolution, some of you are like, man, that's gross. You don't eat there? I do. <laughs> I have. And so what, 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 what's the point? Well, I think many times the decisions that we make are really, they're not necessarily bad, but they're based on the wrong foundation. You know, and I'm just using this as, as health as kind of a, a big resolution uh, for folks, but so many times it's so that we can uh, appear better, look better, or maybe even feel better. But I'm just saying maybe a deeper foundation of that is an understanding that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that this body that I've been given is a gift of God, and I'm to steward it and manage it, right, for God's glory. And th- that's, a, that's a whole different thing. So that, that brings into play really the fear of God the healthy reverence and respect for God. And you can do that in just about every area of our life. You know, if you're stuck in a habit, it's just a pattern of behavior that you haven't been able to break free uh, from for years. One of the things that could be keeping you there is just you not having a healthy fear of God uh, in your life because it is the foundation of wisdom. And we could play that out in so many different ways. But, but here's what I would say, and it's kind of the, the main point of this message today. A healthy fear of God... I believe is wisdom's most neglected step, right? If you had to say, what is the most neglected step? It's a healthy fear of God because it is the first step, but we want to skip over that. In fact, we want kind of some life hacks, right? Give me three or four tips. They're just going to work. They're going to make my relationship better, right, in this area of my life or make my, my emotional life healthier so I don't have so much anxiety or just give me a couple of life hacks so that I can get better in this situation, like maybe even in my finances. Give me a couple of life hacks so my financial life can get better. But, but a healthy fear of God is wisdom's most neglected step. Like we don't, we, we don't like to talk, talk about fear. And, and even in this passage, I've heard a lot of times people preach on this passage and they will really say, well, well, what Solomon is saying, he's not saying fear like we mean fear. He's saying fear like sort of just having just a reverence for God. Well, when you do a word study on the word that Solomon uses here and in the New Testament, we see the fear of God, even in the New Testament, here's what I want to tell you. Fear means fear. And for this particular passage, you know what the word means? It means to be terrified. It means to tremble. It means to take flight. So the first thing I want to tell you is don't be so dismissive of that. In this, fear means fear. Means fear. And let's think about it for just a second because I know, listen, if you can hang on here, you can hang on. I, I hope some things will come into a clearer focus. But some fear is a good thing. Would you agree with that? I mean, some fears are, are actually a good, a, a good thing. Like, I think to be afraid of snakes is a, is a, is a good thing. To have a healthy fear of snakes. I, I, does anybody agree with me on that? I think being afraid of snakes is, is good. Right, we, were walking, we were in South Alabama uh, two weeks ago, right after Christmas, and we were at a state park. It was my wife and my two grandkids and my son, and we're going on this trail through this uh, park, and there's just a big snake. I mean, he's, you know, it's warmer down there. There's a big snake laid out right across the trail, and I see it first. I'm like, we're going another way. Like, no, my wife, my, life, my wife likes to accomplish things, so she wanted to make it through this particular trail so she could mark it off, and I'm like, we're not doing this trail. Why? Because there's a snake there. And then she saw it, and she's like, right, yeah, I'm not going there. And, and my, my youngest son, who should know better, he goes up, and he's trying to pick the thing up. See, now that's what a fool does, right? <laughs> that's a foolish thing. That's what I tell him. That's foolish. See, you're doing that because you just don't know better. You need a healthy fear, right? That thing bites you, and you swell up eight times your size, you'll think differently, about snakes. So fear can be healthy. Would you agree with that? Some fears can be a healthy thing in life. 
I was thinking about, because I know that illustration isn't great, and I was thinking all week long, man, because I'm thinking about this moment, and I want to be able to illustrate this in a way that's really good, because this is really a difficult concept. Like, right, how do we reconcile to have a healthy fear of God and then just to love God's grace and his mercy and have this closeness of God? Because both of those things are true, but how do you reconcile those things? Is that a good question? Do you see that? Like, man, I don't understand that, because sometimes maybe you grew up where all it was was just kind of this hellfire and brimstone, and you understand that, and then, but, but then maybe you went someplace else, and it was just all about the nearness and closeness of, 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 of Christ and Jesus as our brother. How, how do you reconcile those two things? How do you illustrate that? I was struggling with it, to be honest. And some of you are like, yeah, you're struggling now. We see that. I came down here to my office. I'm going to ask Nick to help me just one more time with this. I came down here. Nick and I share a little office here, and uh, it is, uh, thank you, buddy. It's, it's got a bathroom, so we're big time. Um, and so uh, I went in uh, Wednesday, I went into the bathroom and I, I was getting, to be honest, getting some mouthwash. I looked into a cabinet to pull some mouthwash out and this is there. You know what this is, don't you? So help me. It's a, it's a hairdryer. Yeah. I have not used a hairdryer since 1988. I'm not making that up. I haven't used a hairdryer. I haven't had one of these in my hand. So I know this isn't my hairdryer. Um, yeah. <laughs> you could help me with this. It's not his. He's got less hair than me. And he argued with that. There's just not even up for debate. I mean, he said, well, I could grow some hair. Well, you don't. You're going to have to show it, big guy. I mean, right now, he has, he's more bald than I am, if that, if that is a good, good English. So it's not ours. Somebody else's, clearly. Somebody else's hairdryer. And we, we believe we know it's one of the worship pastors here who loves his hair. And so he has, like, I think what's happened is while we're out here preaching, he's back there kind of restyling it. I think that's what's going on. And he tucked it away in a drawer thinking we wouldn't see it, but we saw it. And so you think, well, that's good that we've got to the bottom of that. What's the point? So I, I have not held a hairdryer in a long time. I'd forgotten about this. And so I'm looking because I'm just curious. I thought it might have his initials on this or something. And it says, uh, danger, keep away from water. Yeah, you have one. You use one. And then as if that wasn't enough, and I'm not, I'm not making this up. It has a, oh, here it is. It has a, a picture on it. It has a picture on it of a bathtub. I wish I could show you. You probably have one of these. It has a picture of a bathtub with water in it and a hairdryer and a big X mark through it. Like, don't do that. That's helpful, right? So what, what's the, what's the, thank you, buddy. Go, yeah, go use that. Um, what, what, what's the point? Well, here's the point. Electricity is an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, just look around. I mean, we're here and, and we're enjoying the benefits of electricity in this place. I mean, there's lights on, there's screens. I mean, this, I mean, electricity is a cool thing. If you're watching online, you know, part of that is due to electricity. So, so many things in our life that we, electricity is an amazing thing. We would all agree with that. But if you don't have a healthy respect, a healthy fear of electricity, that's a dangerous thing, right? Would you agree with that? I mean, that, that's why the picture is there. Don't, don't, don't get this thing. Don't use this thing as great as a hairdryer could be for some, some of you guys. Don't get that thing near uh, water because it's indiscriminate. You're dead. So we have to have a healthy fear of that. So let's think about this. Let me show you another verse, Psalms 119, verse 120, just to kind of get an understanding of reconciling these, these, these two things. Here's what the psalmist writes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. Wow, and there are dozens of passages like that, but what's going on here that a person's, I mean, that wasn't a verse that we had like in second grade Sunday school, right? I mean, they didn't put that up. It's our memory verse of the week. Our, my flesh trembles in fear of you. We don't, we don't teach that to our kids. I mean, did any of you have that growing up in Sunday school? Nobody had that. So what's in play here? 
right? What's going on here? Is this just kind of some legalistic old school Sunday? No. Watch this. Let me ask you a question. You're going to have to play along here with me. Everybody in this room has somebody in pop culture that you would be starstruck in their presence, right? I mean, it could be a world leader. Think about it. Could you help me here? Well, you, you'll get out earlier if you'll play along. It could be a world leader, right? It could be somebody uh, from entertainment, an actor, an actress, a musician, an athlete, on and on. But if you, if, if you were out in public and you saw them, you would be starstruck, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And, and so mine, I'll tell you who mine is, Bill Dance. You're like, boy, you are a loser. Well, you don't even know. And you're thinking, who is Bill Dance? Google it. I'm not even going to qualify that with an answer. You should know that. Uh, he's only the greatest fisherman of all time. And uh, uh, back in the 80s, he was the first guy, or really first guy to me, who had a, a weekly television show where you could watch somebody fish. He was actually, fr he is from the state of Tennessee, from Memphis. And so he'd have his Bill Dance outdoors. And so I would, I would just watch that every weekend. Like, I just loved that 30 minutes. I never missed it. It was my favorite show. Like, he's been my dude. He's like my Michael Jordan. He's my guy, you know? And so about two years ago, my, my wife surprised me with a little trip to Memphis. We went to the Pyramid, which is now a Bass Pro. And some of you are like, man, this is getting worse. That's a good time for you? Yes, it is. And they have a hotel there, so we stayed in the, in, in the room, and it's overlooking Bass Pro. It's like, yeah. And so we go down for dinner uh, the first night, and uh, we're waiting, and I see a camera crew is there. They're setting up. They're about to film something, and we're waiting for some friends to come down so we can meet them and go eat at this restaurant. This camera crew's there, and then all of a sudden, he walks up. Bill Dance. And he's standing about... Uh, 10 to 12 feet away from me, just leaned up against kind of a wall there. Nobody's around him. And I look at Amy and I said, that's Bill Dance. And she said, who's Bill Dance? <laughs> I said, woman, I can't help you here. It's a major problem. No, I, I, said, I said, that's Bill Dance. Man, that's the greatest fisherman. That's my hero. I love that guy. And she said, well, go talk to him. I said, I'm not talking to him. <laughs> I, mean, I talk for a living. I would talk to anybody. I mean, if you'll sit here all day, I'll talk, right? I'm a talker. I'm a professional talker. I get paid to talk. It's what I do. I'm a talker. But I'm in the presence of Bill Dance, and I can't say anything. She says, go over and talk to him. I can't talk to him. It's Bill Dance. And so she says, well, I'll go talk to him. I said, no. It's like what you would say to your mom when she would say something. She said, I'm going to go talk to him. Don't. Right? I, I feel like, and so she goes over, and she said, Mr. Dance, my husband likes you. I was like, oh, my gosh, that is terrible. No. He likes you so much. And uh, he's too embarrassed to come and get, ask for his picture. So you get a picture. Could you pick, take a picture of my husband and I? And I'm like, this is terrible. But anyways, we got a picture. And uh, so cool. Look at that, Bill Dance. Look at him. Look at that guy. He's a stud, isn't he? And I was just like, man, I can't believe it. I was so thankful. Like I, I have In my office, I have my grandkids and I have Bill Dance. Those are the three, three, uh, three pictures I have in my, my, my office. And Jesus, I have a Jesus. But anyways. <laughs> So I had, I had that. I was like, man, that was, just, that was an awesome moment. And some of you are like, that is so, thank you for telling that. We just, it feels really good to know how simple you are. Um, here's the point. Uh, let, let me say, maybe here's the question. If being in the presence of human greatness makes us feel that way, what is it? like to be in the presence of infinite greatness, infinite power, infinite holiness. What would that feel like? Well, we get a little bit of a glimpse into that in Scripture. 
Like, I, I want to ask you a question because this is fun. We just, th- those of you in the balcony, like, you can play along too, everybody. And, and in the, uh, the, the first service, like, a dude sitting on the front row just answered this totally wrong. He was, like, bold and yelled it out, and it was wrong, which is super awkward in church, right? When somebody answers something wrong, and then the pastor has to say, thanks for playing. No, that's not right at all. Uh, so don't, don't, don't yell this out unless you're, like, really solid on it, all right, because it'll, it'll be weird. But of Jesus' disciples, um, there's one who says he's the one that Jesus loved the most. The original 12 I'm talking about here. He says, Jesus loves me the most. You know who it is? Everybody's like, I want to say John, but I'm afraid. Yeah, it's John, the beloved disciple. I mean, he feels like, he just tells, he tells all the others, Jesus loved me the most, right? And he's the youngest of the disciples. So every time they had a meal, he sits closest to Jesus when Jesus was here on earth. And he's the disciple that Jesus, you know, John says he felt like he loved him the most. Now, little, little, did John know that everyone feels like that in the presence of Jesus? But anyways, here's a passage from Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. What's interesting about this, who is the author of the book of Revelation? John, right? And he gets a chance to see the resurrected Christ. Revelation means unveiling, right? So it's pulled back. He gets to see the resurrected Christ. Now, here's a guy he was best buddies with here on, on, on earth for three years, right? It's his, it's his boy. Jesus is his boy. Jesus loved him most of all. But listen to what he says when he sees him. When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Think about that for a moment. John said, when I got a glimpse of his power, of his greatness, of his holiness in this resurrected form, I fell at his feet as though dead. Let's talk about something for a second because, listen, we love to celebrate the nearness of God, and that is a good thing, and and I want to try to wrap this up with that in just a second, but we can't skip a step, right? We can't skip a step. If the resurrected Christ were to come in this room today, we wouldn't be running up asking for his autograph. We'd be on our faces in the floor in the presence of his holiness and his power. You see, that's the start of wisdom, having a healthy fear of the power and the holiness, the righteousness of King Jesus. Now, I love this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. Jesus never wants fear to paralyze us. He always wants fear to, we're going to see, propel us. Watch. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. That's an amazing statement. Or the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. And really what he is saying is how we're going to wrap this thing up today. When we have a healthy fear of God, it only expands ultimately our love for God. Now, we'll get back to that, all right? So let's look at the second thing. You still with me? We're talking about understanding a fear factor. Here's point number one. Fear is foundational to wisdom. Do you at least believe that's what the Word of God said? Right? That's what, that's Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So fear is foundational to wisdom. And can I ask you a question? Could you here today, those of you watching online, those of you here at Battlefield, could you grow in this area of having a more healthy fear of God. Could you grow in that area? I sure could. I sure could. And a result of that is if I grew in that area, a result of that is I would grow in wisdom. That's what the scripture says. You don't skip a step here, right? All right, let's look at the second thing. Um, 
just really, really quickly, fear is a proper response to God's power and his position. In other words, how do you grow? Like you don't focus on fearing the Lord. Like I need to, I need to be, I need to focus on the fear of God. No, no, no. You need to focus on the power of God and the position of God and fear will naturally grow. Like astronomers, astronomers tell us if you were to go out tonight and there weren't any clouds in the sky, you might be able to see about 10,000 stars, but that's not, that's a lot by the way, right? A clear night. That, that, that's a lot. But astronomers tell us that's not all that, that, that are, are. There are about 3,000 billion trillion, that just sounds like a made-up number, stars in the universe. That, that, is, that is three with 24 zeros behind it. And the God that we worship today created every single one of them. He spoke them into existence through the power of his word and named them. Let me just tell you something, that's power right? That's power. And when you begin to focus on the power of God, then we begin to grow in a healthy fear of God. Well, the next thing we have to focus on is the position of God. Uh, who is it? What, what is his position or position of authority? Let me read a passage of scripture, which will help you with, with this. It certainly helps me. Mark chapter four, verse 35. Are you guys with me still? Just for a second, right? Look at, look at this. Jesus had just finished ministering on one side of the Sea of Galilee. He's about to go on the other side of the Sea of Galilee because the next day he's going to cast out a demon. But as he's traveling by boat from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, a very interesting story takes place. And it's a story that really helps us with this idea of understanding the fear factor. Watch this. I want to show you something really cool. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And, uh, and again, with Jesus, it's, 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 it's not always about the destination. It's usually about the process. Does that make sense? Right? It's not about just getting across to the other side, but there's going to be something that happens on the journey that he's going to do. That, that'll help you a little bit. Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and the other boats were with them. I always love to say this here because it's so fascinating to me. Uh, I remember when a guy was discipling me, he showed this because there was this sense growing up that I just thought the Bible was a book full of fairy tales. I mean, like I, I, I would have told you I believed it to be true, but there was just part of me was like, yeah, these, these are just kind of good stories. Here's an interesting statement. It, it says, it tells us that Jesus is going to the other side and it says, and there were some boats going along with him. Why does it tell us that? That doesn't have really anything to do with this story. It tells us that because that was true. This was an eyewitness account, right? It wants us to see that. This isn't just a fairy tale. This is absolute truth. And a great windstorm arose and waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling up. And so uh, we have a terrible storm on the Sea of Galilee, verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Jesus was asleep and he's asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Interesting what they called him. They called him teacher. They needed to grow an understanding of who he, he was. And he awoke, watch this, and he awoke in the midst of this terrible storm. Now, I wanna give you some perspective. The vast majority of those disciples who are scared to death professionally were commercial fishermen. They had spent their whole life on this sea or lake they knew a thing or two about storms. These weren't guys who were just first time out on a boat. This is where they had grown up. And there was something about this storm that they'd never seen before called them, caused them to be just, just paralyzed in fear. And he awoke, Jesus awoke, and rebuked the wind and the waves. In other words, he just told them to be still. He told them to be quiet. He put them into timeout if you're a kid here watching. Peace be still. And the wind, look, ceased. And there was great calm. He said to them, to his disciples, what are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You know, one of the things that Jesus is saying here, listen, I want you to see this. If you and I can have a healthy fear of God, we don't have to be afraid of anything else. But if you don't have a healthy fear of God, watch this, you will be afraid of everything else. Do you see that? 
That's what he's trying to teach. I think we need to know that, right? I want to show you something in verse 41. Watch this for a second. I want you to pick out some, some words. I want to show you something that's really neat. And they were, verse 41, it says, and they were fear, filled with great fear. Now watch. On the other side of telling the, the wind and the waves to be still, it says they were filled with great fear. It doesn't say that. They were just filled with fear about the storm. But when Jesus quiets the storm, they were filled with what? Great fear. The rescue scared them more than the storm. His power and his authority. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, watch this, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And they're understanding this is, this is God. Only God does this. They called him teacher and they realized they were in the boat with the sovereign of the universe that he spoke peace to this storm. And they were filled with great fear because of why? They understood more about his position. Right? You see that? And the point that they're making is, listen, if the winds and the waves obey him, why are we not obeying him? And they begin to get it. You see, they would go to the other side of the lake and the demons obeyed him. So the winds and the waves and the demons. And so the point is, after we understand a little bit more of his position, why are we not obeying him? Let me say this. I think it's the most important thing that I want to try to communicate today in a sentence. The reason that we are so casual and unmotivated when it comes to our obedience, the reason that we are so casual about sin in our own life is because we don't have a healthy, healthy fear of God. That's why we're so casual about it. Can I tell you something today? Nothing changes in your life until your fear changes. We spend most of our life being afraid of the wrong thing. We spend most of our life being afraid of people's opinions of us, perception of us. Even as we think about spiritual life, if I were really to submit to God, what would others say? We spend most of our life afraid of the wrong things. Nothing will really change in your life until fear changes, until the only thing that I'm afraid of is this God of creation, a God of all power, and has this supreme position as sovereign over all things, who says to the wind and to the waves, be still, who says to the demons, come out. You see, I grew up in, in the 80s, right? I was in high school in the 80s, and so we were into T-shirts and bumper stickers in the 80s. So one of the most popular ones was no fear. Like that was really cool in the 80s to wear a shirt around that says no fear, have a bumper sticker like that says no fear. Like you're a dude if you had that, right? But can I tell you something? Living life with no fear is utter foolishness, right? To not be afraid of electricity is foolishness. Would you agree with that? To drop a plugged in hairdryer in a bathtub while you're there and say, no fear, bro. That'd be the last thing you say, right? It's foolishness. But listen, for me and for you to continue to walk in known sin and rebellion against this sovereign king 
who has all power and has a supreme position is utter foolishness. It's a result of failing to have a healthy fear of who he is. Last thing, give me two minutes. If you don't get what I'm about to say here, this message is, it is just legalistic old school stuff and you'll leave here a little more scared, but it really won't, won't bring about any change. I want you to get this. There is a great irony to the fear of God. Let me say that again. There is a great irony to the fear of God. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, listen, when you really approach this the right way and begin to grow with a healthy fear of God, something else happens that you didn't count on. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You begin to grow in the wisdom of God. But watch this, something else happens, and it's what you were afraid of. It's why you pushed against this message. It's why anytime somebody is talking about a topic like this, you sort of, you sort of push away at it because you say, listen, I, I, I'm not going to be controlled by that. I love the closeness of God. I love the grace, and I love the mercy of God. That is, that is, that is my truth. But can I tell you something? Here's the irony of fear. Without a healthy fear of God, you will only have a limited amount of love for God. Without a healthy fear of God, you will only have a limited amount of love for God because watch this, here's the irony. When you begin to have a healthy fear of God, when you begin to contemplate his power, his holiness, his righteousness, when you begin to do that and you begin to tremble in the thought of that, well, that moves to awe, to be in awe of this God, which moves us to worship this God, which moves us to be devoted to this God, which moves us to fall deeper and deeper in love with this God. Listen, your love will grow when you realize what, at one level, you've just been saved from. Do you see that? You might ask me, Pastor Brady, do you have fear of God? Yeah. And you say, well, in what way? I fear sin in my own life because I know this, it breaks the heart of my God. Like as a husband, I hate it when I do something stupid and I say something stupid and I make my wife cry. That is like one of my least favorite things on planet earth. You ever been there as a husband? But I fear living my life living my life in a way that grieves the very Holy Spirit inside of me. I fear that. I fear the attitudes and actions of my life not being aligned with God's will. I fear the discipline of God. I fear the consequences that are found when I'm living outside the will of God. That is, that is real for me. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. This changed everything for me. Here's one thing I don't fear. I don't fear any longer the punishment of God because our Jesus took that in full. Romans 8.1 saved my sanity. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? He absorbed, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. You have no idea. Listen, none of us here have any idea about the power that is the wrath of God, but Jesus completely absorbed the wrath of God. And anyone, watch the language. Paul is so precise here. He's so precise. He says, anyone that is in Christ, meaning we have surrendered to him, we have trusted him, then we have come in Christ. We are covered in Christ. 
outside of the raging wrath of God. So I don't fear the punishment of God any longer. And that has been so liberating. In fact, as I have grown in more and more healthy fear of God, I have found that I've fallen deeper and deeper in love with him. That's the irony of it. That's the irony of it. But still, to some of you say, you know what? Old Testament message, Old Testament passage, Jesus never said anything like this. That's why I love Jesus. Like, oh, the Old Testament God was a mad God. The New Testament God in Jesus is a God of grace and love and mercy. I hear that a lot. Watch this. This is Jesus. If you think Jesus never said anything about the fear of God, you stand in opposition with the Word of God. Because Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. You ever kind of broken that statement down? That's a pretty big fear, though. Hey, don't be afraid of somebody who can just kill you. Wow, that seems like a legitimate fear. He says there's something bigger than that. Don't be afraid of those who just kill the body. That's weak. Anybody can do that, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be, Jesus says this, here, I'll tell you who to be afraid of. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus says, if you don't have fear, here's a fear that you need to have. You need to have a fear of the judgment of God. And you would say, well, listen, my God wouldn't send anyone to hell. Listen, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? No one in this room will end up in hell unless they first walk over the crucified son of God who died so you would never have to go there. That's love. But the fool says there is no God, so they will reject that, and they will step over the crucified cross of Christ and absorb for themselves the wrath of God. I never forget, years ago, I was with a buddy. We were in Ontario. The morning, I still remember the morning like it was yesterday. We woke up, we had breakfast. It was about 60 degrees. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. We got out in this little aluminum boat with about a 10-horsepower motor, and we set off across the most beautiful lake I've ever been on in my life for a day of fishing. It's going to be unbelievable. And in an hour and a half, the temperature dropped over 30 degrees. Try to get your mind around that from 60 to down into the upper 20s, the wind began to blow like I've never seen it blow before. I mean, what was just a bluebird sky now was just intense, dark clouds. And my buddy who's smarter than me says, we, need to be, we better need to be getting back. I said, no fear, bro. No fear. So I stayed just a little bit too long. And then as we headed back, I still remember, I got this little tiller steer motor I got it, giving it all it can go. It's seven miles an hour. I'm putting down the lake. And I'm looking ahead, and my buddy's looking behind. And he lost all color in his face. And his eyes kind of began to bug out. And I turned around, and what I saw looked something like out of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It had begun to sleep, but I'm not talking Middle Tennessee sleet, like safe, nice little sleet. I'm talking about big, jagged, nasty sleet. The water is just churning and it is hitting the water and it is moving our way. And so if you can get this picture, here we are just going real slow, heading back to our cabin. And I mean, nasty, jagged ice is just screaming from the sky and it is closing the gap. And man, I am freaking out. And so is he. And he's mad. Like, he's always want to blame. I told you. Right? You heard that? 
And I just remember we, we got back. I could see the cabin. It's getting closer. So is the storm. It's getting closer. And we ran that boat up on the little island we were staying in. I never tied it up. I never came off the gas. I just ran it right up on the bank. We jumped out and we ran into that cabin as fast as we could go. And then we sat down right in front of a, right in front of a window looking out. And then, bam, it hit like a ton of bricks. And we're sitting in there just looking at each other going, wow. That, my friend, is power. But we were inside. We were protected. But that protection didn't cause us to lose sight of the power and the wrath and the fury of that storm. It just made us appreciate our surroundings and our situation hidden in that cabin way more than ever before. I kissed that cabin when I left. You see, in some ways you say, what's the point? That can be your position in Christ. But for those of us who are in Christ, we never, ever lose sight of the power of our God. We just grow in our love for his provision for us. But here's the truth of the matter today. Some of you today have never come in. For whatever reason, you've always rejected Christ, can I tell you something about fear? Fear can paralyze you or it can propel you. Jesus never meant for fear to paralyze you, always to propel you, to cause you to take flight and come under the shelter of his salvation. You're willing to run to the only one who can save. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you that it is a healthy fear of you that begins this journey of wisdom. Teach us what it means to live that way or to help us not live a foolish life that despises wisdom. Help us to build off of that foundation to go to new heights with you. But Lord, help us never skip that first step. In Christ's name, amen.